Welcome to another edition of the MMA Lockcast. I'm your host, Manpreet, aka MMA Lock of the Night, and your boy on Twitter at MMALOTN. This week, we're going over UFC Vegas 47, headlined by a middleweight bout between Sean Strickland and Jack Hermanson. And good God, I can't wait to, for this fight to go down. Very excited always to see Sean Strickland inside the cage and to finally go up against the guy in Jack Hermanson, who is definitely the toughest opposition he's had to go up against since moving up to middleweight i can't wait to see how it goes down and i can't wait to see what sean strickland's grappling looks like up at 185 pounds but there are a couple other interesting fights sprinkled out throughout the car shavkat rachmanov versus carlson harris should be a great fight mike trezano versus hakeem dawadu that should be another great fight and uh the ufc debut of dennis bondera who i'm pretty high on myself so i can't wait to see how he fares in his debut against malcolm gordon before we jump into the episode, as you guys know, I always love doing my betting recap of the last event. So let's go over UFC 270. Uh, we did have a lock of the night play that night, which Swift with Hauni Barcelos coming up short against Victor Henry. Henry, very tenured and experienced fighter. I just didn't think he'd be able to do that to Hauni Barcelos on the feet. If I if there was going to be any success from Henry in that fight, I expected it to be on the ground, but Barcelos could not keep up with his pace and pressure and ultimately fell short via decision that night. But it was parlayed with the fight doesn't go to the decision in the Jack Della Maddalena and Pete Rodriguez fight, which I definitely thought was a lock of the night play. And I wish I had the cojones to take the under one and a half as my lock of the night play. But I did poke it a little bit, which I'll get into right now, uh, but uh, or very shortly. But that is minus four units on the lock of the night play. Speaking of the Madalena and Rodriguez fight, we had uh, one and a half units at minus 117 on the under one and a half. Easy spot, in my opinion. Both guys, you know, uh, sorry, Madalena levels and levels above what Pete Rodriguez brought to the table but I did showcase my respect for Rodriguez's power in case he did uh, clip Madalena which is why I like the under one and a half rather than taking Madalena inside the distance but that should have been the play under one and a half seemed like a no-brainer there I wish it would have went a little deeper and I wish I made that my lock of the night play Let's stick with the wins and then we'll get to the losses at the end. The next one we had was the under two and a half uh, at minus 108 for Frivola versus Valdez. Uh, that catches for plus 1.39 units. Crazy the a pace that they were setting in that fight. As soon as that, like within 10 seconds of that fight starting, I'm like, this under is hitting. If it doesn't hit, it will be the worst beat of all time. But luckily we were able to cash that. Next up, I had a, a half-unit play on Jasmine Jazduvicious at plus 205. That catches for plus 1.02 units. Wish I went deeper on that as well. Uh, the size definitely being the main reason as to why Jazduvicious won that fight. And uh, should have went harder with that angle. Uh, glad to see the Canadian pick up a victory in her UFC debut. Next up was the actual dog of the night play. Two units on Davison Figueredo at plus 150. Say what you want about the decision. I thought he won at least four rounds to one. At worst, you can say three to two. Uh, but I thought he deserved that victory and that decision. And I'm glad that he did. We cashed that for three units. Now let's get to the bad stuff. Let's get to the to the L's here. Starting off with two units on Cody Stamen at plus 200. Uh, never really even got to see that fight get started, right? Uh, Saeed does a, did a really good job in terms of putting the pressure on Cody in terms of the heavy strikes that he was throwing and then ultimately catching him in that guillotine choke. Good win for Saeed Nurmagomedov that night. 
Next up, we had a one-unit play on Tony Gravely versus Simon Oliveira at plus 115. Uh, Gravely, cardio holding up a lot better than I thought and uh, holding down Simon a lot easier than I expected him to. So uh, minus one unit there. Uh, and then lastly, the main event, Cyril Gunn. It seemed like he had it in the bag. You know, he just had to go out there and rep, uh, pretty much repeat rounds one and two um but gets taken down around three gets taken down around four and then for some reason goes for a leg lock in that fifth round when he has that top position and ultimately gives up the fight as francis is able to grind him out and win that via decision so minus three units at minus 118 on zero gone again after figure eight or one and even though i lost my lock of the night play earlier in the night i thought it was a shoe-in that we're getting profit that night especially with Siragon being the one that it hinged on unfortunately minus three units there and then a minus uh 0.5 units in total on stabs on round four at plus 1700 and round five at plus 2500 for Siragan. Credit to Francis Ngano for getting the job done, especially with the torn ACL or MCO, whatever that he had. Good for him there. So all in all, minus 3.8 units on that event. We come out pretty decent on the first event of the year where we profit, but then ultimately we lose up on UFC 270. Uh, once again, minus 3.8 units there. So we got to get back on the horse. Luckily, we got UFC Vegas 47 and seven more events straight after this weekend. So we got plenty of time to get back into that green and uh, kick off this year to a great start. So um, picks, all that stuff is already posted on the Patreon. Uh, picks and stuff won't be free to the public until the day before the event. If you want to see those picks, they're all on the Patreon. Link is in the description below, five bucks a month. But the picks are just the cherry on top of the Patreon. You guys get early access to all the breakdowns that you guys are about to see. They've been released to the to the Patreon members for days now. Uh, not to mention a best bets and props article where I go over every single fight, give you my best bet and best prop. Uh, pay-per-view parlay for the patrons where I make a parlay based on what the patrons say for every pay-per-view I put 5% of my Patreon take on it if it hits the winnings get sent to a random Patreon member as well not to mention a great Discord community solid group in there where we always chop it up on uh, event night but throughout the week as well those guys and those savages stay absolutely active in there talking about UFC MMA all other sports shout out to the discord channel uh once again five bucks a month link is in the description below lastly i'd like to give a shout out to coolbet coolbet.com use promo code mmalotn2 that's the number two and they'll match your initial deposit up to a hundred or 200 percent 100 i believe it is 100 it's been a while since i've done the reads if you guys can't tell but to match your initial deposit up to 100 so make sure you guys check those guys out and lastly, one last thing I promise, and then we'll get on with the show. I got a special announcement dropping on Monday, which if you guys are watching this, it's today, later today. Make sure you guys check out my channel for that. A new segment that I'm going to be dropping on a monthly basis. Very excited for it. I'm sure you guys are going to very much dig it as well. I can't wait to announce it. More than likely, I've already announced it if you're watching this. So hop back onto my YouTube channel and you guys will see the announcement there. Gotta tease you, so make sure you guys go check it out. All right, that's a wrap on the intro here. I uh, hope you guys enjoyed the episode. Make sure you guys hit that like and subscribe before you guys exit out of the video. And otherwise, I will see you guys on the flip side for the outro. 
Dennis Bondaire versus Malcolm Gordon. We got minus 250 on the debutante Dennis Bondaire and plus 200 the return on Malcolm Gordon. Now, Malcolm Gordon is coming back from a victory, his first ever victory in the UFC over Francisco Figueredo, where he was able to get a decent amount of control time in that fight and ultimately get his hand raised via decision. That is obviously proceeding uh, two finishes that he suffered in his first two UFC belts. One being, of course, the Sumo Darji fight where he got knocked out pretty quickly. And then the first fight, his debut, where he ultimately fell to Amir Albazi via triangle choke. Now, Gordon's game is more often not predicated around him going out there and taking his opponents down and using his black belt in jiu-jitsu. And knowing that he, you know, before the Albazi fight, decided to go and join for with a Joseph Valtellini Bazooka Joe uh, as he's mostly known uh, for all of you guys that know him he's you know a kickboxing legend glory uh, or sorry from glory kickboxing and from there uh, he was unfortunately uh, forced to retire due to concussions and all that stuff that he was dealing with uh, as you know comes with the job with being a kickboxer uh, but now he's pretty much been full-time uh, coaching I believe he's been doing some analyst spots as well for a couple of different promotions uh, but that's where Gordon uh, has aligned himself with and you know we haven't really seen the improvements of it yet right obviously he got knocked out in the Sumadarji fight we saw him trying to implement it in the Amir Albazi fight but it left himself to be taken down pretty easily uh, and that's exactly what Albazi was able to do in that fight and then the Francisco Figueredo fight right from the jump we saw uh, Malcolm Gordon look to try to get this fight to the ground he didn't want anything to do with the power of Figueredo on the feet uh, and luckily for him you know there were some certain hairy spots where he got reversed or he got a little overzealous or even Figueredo was able to land takedowns of his own um so Gordon is actually 0 of 3 on defending takedowns right now. So he has a 0% takedown defense rate inside the UFC. And that doesn't bode well, especially going up against the guy in Dennis Bondaire here, who's going to be looking to ground this fight. I don't think Bondaire is going to respect the black belt at all of uh, Malcolm Gordon. And I don't really think he needs to. Uh, he does a very good job in terms of passing uh, an advancing position and then attacking submissions or even a ground and pound, which I think that's ultimately going to be the, be the end of the night for Malcolm Gordon in this spot um, I, I'm pretty high on Bondir I think the guy has a lot of good skill sets he brings to the UFC and this is a bit of a toss-up fight for him uh, or at least a you know a softball I should say for him in his debut given that his strengths are Malcolm Gordon's strengths but he's just so much better at implementing them than what Malcolm Gordon does so uh, I do like Bondir here I think even minus 250 is a little bit of a gift um, I wouldn't be surprised to see this line get st steamed up to the minus 350 50s minus 400s come fight time and deservedly so so uh i like bondaire here i actually like him to get it done inside the distance uh, especially considering all of malcolm gordon's losses have come via finish i think that trend continues here with dennis bondaire winning this fight let's say second round tko Danilo Marquez versus Jilton Almeida. We got minus 425 on the contender series alum Jilton Almeida and plus 320 the return on Danilo Marquez. Now, Marquez is coming off a loss to Kennedy and Zechukul last time around in a fight where he was doing pretty well in the first two rounds. The first round, he was able to hop on the back of Kennedy and Zechukul and tried sinking in a rear naked choke, but 
managed to get close to four and a half minutes of control time in that first round as he hung off the back of uh, Kennedy and Zetsuku for the majority of that round. Then in the second round, managed to get the fight back into a similar position, got his back, got the gr- got him on the ground, all of that, but still was not able to finish the submission. And then ultimately in the third round, Kennedy and Zetsuku opens up with some big shots and then ultimately finishes him via standing TKO. But in prior fights, he's always managed to get the fight to the ground, always managed to get the fight into his realm, and he's either either able to control his opponents en route to a decision or find that submission, which is, you know, obviously a lot better than going the full 15 minutes. Uh, Jilton Almeida, on the other hand, uh, not a lot of tape out there on him, but the tape that we do see is he's clearly a grapple-heavy fighter, likes to get the fight to the ground similar to Danilo Marquez and tries to wrap up a submission or get a ground and pound TKO. Uh, you know, there were some certain spots in a couple of those fights that I was able to see where he gets a little bit overzealous and loses position, either, you know, riding too high or too aggressive for a submission or something like that. And that causes him to lose that position and ultimately, you know, getting his uh, opponent to get the better position. But luckily for him, He's able to get back to his feet and get back to where he wants it and then uh, get back to the ground and get to that jujitsu work, which is probably what he's best at. The majority of his wins, pretty much all of them have come in the first or second round. I believe he's only ever been to one decision in his career and he ended up losing that night to Bruno Assis. I don't really understand the the giant line here, right? I've been a guy that's always tried to fade Danilo Marquez in the past. You know, it hasn't really worked out certain times. But I feel as though this is a spot where you got to take advantage of him in this plus 300 realm. Well, yeah, of course, Jilton Almeida deserves to be the favorite, uh, given that he has a six-year youth advantage, uh, as well as, you know, being the slightly more athletic and explosive guy. But... The fact that he's not really a striker, like his striking still needs a little bit of work, in my opinion. Uh, but if he had more of a striking game, I'd, lo- I'd be a little bit more concerned for the Danilo Marquez side. But he's a grapple-heavy fighter, right? He wants to get this fight to the ground, and he wants to try to use his jiu-jitsu. He's going to be going up against a guy who's probably just as good, if not better, than him in the jiu-jitsu realm, and a bigger dude as well. So if he gets overzealous in certain spots, Marquez is absolutely going to take advantage of that, and he could absolutely just grind this fight out from on top, especially being the bigger and heavier guy in this spot. So... I, you know, I don't see why not to take a shot here on Danilo Marquez. Uh, I see a lot of people, you know, they see the physique of Jilton Almeida. They see that he beat an Av in his last fight on the Contender Series. But there's some things that he leaves to be desired that I feel like a guy like Danilo Marquez could absolutely take advantage of. So um, I do like the Danilo Marquez side here. I saw his decision prop is hanging around plus 600, plus 700. I think that's worth a little bit of a poke as I don't know if you'll be able to get uh Jilton Almeida out of there uh again the the cardio aspect of Almeida's game is still up in the air considering he doesn't normally see a third round but when he has the one time in his career uh he ended up losing that fight uh but if this does go the full 15 minutes I wouldn't mind having that plus 300 ticket or even that prop at plus 600 plus 700 on Danilo Marquez uh again on the feet I feel like 
Almeida is more substance or sorry more show than substance than anything throws a lot of you know heavy strikes but not really any combinations and it just seems like he's swinging for the fences but I feel like that's something that Marquez could counter with a takedown of his own or even get into a clinch position and try to get the grappling going as well so um, I expect this fight to play out on the mat for the majority of it and if that's the case this minus 400 line on Almeida is completely wrong in my opinion maybe not wrong to the extent that it's he should be the underdog i'm not saying that at all he deserves to be the favorite but a minus 400 is absolutely crazy so uh I, i'm actually taking danilo marquez in this spot i'm gonna take him to win this fight by decision and he might be busting some parlays i don't want to be caught you know betting minus 400 on a contender series alum who might be all hype at this point so um official pick official prediction is going to be danilo marquez via decision Alexis Davis versus Yulia Stoliarenko. We got minus 220 on Alexis Davis and plus 180 the return on Yulia Stoliarenko. Now, this looks like a pretty tailor-made matchup for Alexis Davis. I know she's 37 years old, but she's still having competitive matchups uh, against the young and up-and-coming uh, fighters. Obviously, the Sabina Mazo beatdown that she was able to produce as a plus 170 dog two fights ago, that's obviously going to be looming pretty bright here. But not to mention, I thought she deserved the the decision over Pani Kianzad. That was a close fight in a fight where a lot of people expected Davis to try to ground the fight to have success, but she only shot one takedown at the end of round two, landed it, got the four seconds of control time before the time expired, uh, and that seemed like how she should have approached in that third round as well, but she she never attempted a takedown after that, which is a little bit puzzling to me, but she still remained competitive in a striking battle against a striker in Pani Kianzad. She actually outstruck her by 23 strikes as well from that uh, the entire 15 minutes. Personally, I thought Davis deserves round two and three, and so did a lot of people on MMA decisions who actually believe that um, uh, that that Davis deserved the decision that night. Now on the flip side, well, Yulia Stoliarenko, she's coming off a loss to uh, Julia Avila last time around where she got finished. I believe it was an arm triangle choke uh, near the ending of that third round. And that one kind of hurt just because I had the under two and a half in that fight. Yet my guy, Julia, my girl, sorry, my gal, I should say, uh, Julia Avila waits until two minutes after that uh, bet crashes. And then she goes for the, uh, the choke and gets the finish there. But Yulia uh, Stoliorenko, I like to call her the Lithuanian Ronda Rousey. Uh, seven of her nine professional wins all have come via armbar, but I'd be surprised if she catches Alexis Davis in something like that. Her striking game pretty abysmal you know there's not much technique into uh with it she's usually off balance when she throws her strikes and it just does not look pretty at all um for her to have success i think the only way she wins is if she catches alexis davis in something um you know sometimes she's a little bit overzealous on the ground going for sub submissions ultimately giving up position and when you have a black belt a tenured black belt like alexis davis I think she's going to be ready for that, ready to reverse, ready to maintain position, and uh, pretty much just stay on top. But if this fight is in the striking realm for 15 minutes, I think Alexis Davis absolutely lights her up as well. Um, I, I really like Davis in the spot. I think she's, you know, decent value, even at that chalk range of minus 220, minus 250. The only way she does not look like that number, or even minus 300 or minus 400, is if somehow, as soon as she turned 37, she fell off a cliff. That's yet to be determined. 
but she needs to, she absolutely should win this fight against Yulia Stolyarenko. So uh, I'm going to go Davis. I think she outpoints her over 50 minutes with takedowns, top control, and then obviously in the striking realm. And I don't mind the minus 220 on her, honestly. So uh, official prediction is going to be uh, Alexis Davis. And I believe she wins this fight via decision. Phil Rowe versus Jason Witt. We got minus 155 on Phil Rowe and plus 135 the return on Jason Witt. Now, the last time around that we saw Phil Rowe in the cage, he was able to get a second round finish over Orion Kosi in a fight that I see playing out similar to what we might see this weekend with Jason Witt. Now, we saw Kosi try to get the fight to the ground over and over again, pinning Phil Rowe up against the cage, you know, not really having too much success in terms of getting him to the ground and even getting any top control. And in doing so, it seems like he started to wear himself out and really start to start huffing and puffing. Once they were able to get into range, Phil Rowe did a good job of keeping him on the end of his shots and really just throwing with absolute heat with everything that he threw. Ryan Kosey, on the other hand, kept trying to get this fight to the ground, kept trying to get into the clinch position, and even in the clinch position when he just could not fuel his muscles anymore, we saw Philip Rowe have tremendous success with his Muay Thai knees up the middle, and then he ultimately finished Ryan Kosey up against the cage near the ending of that second round. On the flip side with Jason Witt, he came through as a giant underdog against Brian Barbarena last time around, but not without having the fight for it. In that third round, he was on... He was on death's door pretty much with the amount of times that Brian Barbarino was catching him, uh, close to finishing him. And Jason Witt, you know, credit to him, he was throwing back. You know, I think he did a good enough job in terms of nullifying a 10-8 round, but still lost a 10-9 round in that third round, in my opinion. But uh, yeah, it, it was getting it was getting close. Now, Brian Barbarina, yeah, he has some knockout power, but I feel like it's been dwindling the further that his career has gone on. And I feel like a guy in Philip Rowe who's a sniper from the outside could find those shots against Jason Witt here and absolutely put his lights out. Now, I'm not the most sold on Philip Rowe. I still feel as though he's a little bit green in certain spots, but I just don't think that Jason Witt reacts well to shots. And Philip Rowe, in my opinion, will do a good job of sticking and moving and staying on the outside and, you know, defending shots properly here. Jason Witt might be able to land a takedown or two, but I'm not sold on the fact that he's going to be able to control Phil Rowe or at least get a uh, finish on the ground if that's where he gets Phil Rowe. I think Phil, you know, first, second, or third round at a certain point is going to be able to, be able to land cleanly enough on Jason Wood and put him down. I actually think it's going to look similar to, you know, the Orion Kosi fight for Phil Rowe or even the Matthew Semmelsberger fight for Jason Witt where he either gets sniped early here or... Um, Phil Rowe does a good job of defending takedowns and uh, defending the grappling and then eventually deads him in the second or third round so uh, official prediction here is going to be Phil Rowe via KO and let's call it round one Mark andre Barrio versus Chidi Njokwani. We got minus 135 on Barrio and plus 115 the return on Chidi Njokwani. Now, Njokwani stepping into the cage for the first time under the UFC banner after successfully securing a contract on the Contender Series where he was able to get a third round stoppage over Mario Sosa. And if I'm not mistaken, he was the slight underdog in that fight. And luckily enough, he pulled off the upset, got that contract, and here he is making his debut this weekend. 
uh, he is the brother of Anthony Njokwani, former UFC fighter and WEC fighter as well. Both guys mainly known for their Muay Thai style, and that's usually how Chidi Njokwani is able to get his hand raised. Whether it's landing beautiful knees to the body, dropping his opponents and getting them out of there, or landing elbows uh, from certain positions and hurting his opponents and getting them out of there as well. But when it comes down to uh, a Chidi Njokwani fight and how he wants to pursue it, it's him staying at kickboxing range and kind of picking his opponents apart from the outside and waiting for the opportunities to really let his hands go to pursue the finish. But when you see him losing, it kind of plays right into what Marc-Andre Barrio is very good at. It doesn't seem very difficult to push Chidi Njokwani or at least kind of guide him back towards the cage and get him on his back foot because more often than not in every single fight that you see of Chidi's, his opponent is successful in terms of putting him on his back foot and putting him inside uh, against the cage. If you watch any of Marc-Andre Barrio's fight, that's exactly what he does. He likes to push his opponents back. He has great pressure. He feints well. And even when he's not fainting, he does a good job in terms of closing the distance and pushing his opponents back with actual strikes, blitz forward one twos up the middle um and i think that's what he's going to be successful with in terms of uh implementing that here against chidi and jokawani i think he'll be the stronger guy in the clinch and even though chidi is the one with the muay thai experience here he doesn't seem to be super lethal in that clinch position especially against guys that are able to push him and have their way with him up against the cage we saw Rafael carvalho have that success john salter have that success Pretty much all of his opponents have been able to have that success, and I feel like uh, Barrio fits that perfect mold to beat a guy like Chidi Njokawani. So the line right now is around roughly minus 135. I side open at minus 155, so money coming in on Chidi Njokawani. But as the fight starts to get closer and people start to run the tape, I think that we'll start to see more money start to come in on Barrio, and he could be closer to that minus 150, minus 170 range, closer to fight time. So... I got in nice and early here at minus 130. Uh, actually, I got minus 132. Shout out to Pinnacle. Always having some strong, uh, solid lines. But I think that this is a picture-perfect type of performance uh, or stylistic matchup, I should say, for a guy in Marc-Andre Berrio who's really found his stride down there at Sanford MMA. If I'm not mistaken, he made the move after that Junyoung Park fight, which was you know his fight that made him go 0-3 in the UFC. Surprising that the UFC still kept him around, but... He's managed to turn it around. He got that win over Pio Hoto, which was obviously overturned due, overturned due to a positive drug test. But since then, finished Abu Azaitar with five seconds left on the clock and just absolutely worked Dolce Lungi and Bula in their uh, fight last time around uh, where he beat him over 15 minutes. And that's exactly the type of performance I'm expecting when he goes up against Chidi here as well. So... I love Barrio in this spot. I think the line is a steal where it's at around that minus 130 spot. So he's going to be my official prediction, and I'm going to take him to win this fight via decision. Hakeem Dewadu versus Mike Trezano. We got minus 190 on the Canadian and plus 160 the return on the Tiger Shulman product. Now, uh, Mike Trezano is coming off a successful trip to the Octagon last time around against Ludovic Klein, where he was able to spring a pretty big upset over uh, Klein that night, winning that fight via decision. A little bit of a controversial decision, some people would say. Really depends on how you score those takedowns on Ludovic Klein, but... I feel as though we're probably not going to see any takedowns in this fight with Hakeem Duwadu and Trezano, who are more than likely going to try to flex their Muay Thai skills and see who ends up coming out on top. Now, I do believe that Duwadu is the slightly more busier party of the two, averaging 4.72 significant strikes per 15 minutes, whereas on the flip side with Trezano, you got 3.22 significant strikes per 15 minutes. Uh... 
Trezano will have a three inch height advantage, but he will be at a two inch reach disadvantage. So I'm going to kind of call that reach advantage a, a little bit of a wash, considering that we have a taller fighter in Trezano in the spot. Trezano does like using his leg kicks. He does have a pretty good uh, understanding of his distance and his range management, but I think that his lead leg is going to get torched up here by Hakeem Duwadu just to kind of close that distance and then eventually move forward and start letting his hands go as well. I think ultimately the output and volume of Hakeem Duwadu will be the reason he ends up getting his hand raised in this fight, but I don't feel super convinced especially at that minus 190 range i do believe that it's roughly accurate that's where the line should be but more often than not in keeping the wadu fights we get very close fights and trezano in my opinion will be competitive in this fight so it will be quite close but i just don't think that there's enough juice here uh to to squeeze uh for the trezano side as a plus 160 dog i do think the canadian gets his hand raised here and i do think he gets it done via decision but I'm not holding that minus 190 ticket. It's going to be a close fight. It's going to come down to numbers, possibly, you know, some significant moments. But neither guy really does anything in terms of, you know, dropping his opponents or rocking or hurting his opponents. Both guys are pretty clean, crisp, and disciplined with their striking. But I'm going to give the edge to Duwadu here just due to, due to output. And I think he'll be the more busier uh, fighter out of the two. So official prediction here will be Hakeem Duwadu. And I'll take him by decision. Miles Johns versus John Castaneda. We got minus 250 on Johns and plus 200 the return on Castaneda. Now, uh, this is an intriguing matchup. I like both of these guys. I think they both have solid games. Uh, but I think there's going to be one specific thing as to why I actually lean with the favorite in this fight. Now, the striking realm, I feel like Castaneda is the slightly more technical striker. I like the, his southpaw stance. I like that he throws in combinations. And I like his persistence in terms of his leg kick just to stay active on the flip side with uh miles johns he's a, a, a wrestler turn striker in a sense where his hands are definitely getting better they're developing on a fight to fight basis but his speed and his explosiveness is definitely the difference between the two guys here especially when we're talking about their striking uh, attributes i think johns does a good job in terms of closing distance landing big shots especially considering he's usually the guy with the reach disadvantage in his fights but He's actually going to be the one inch taller fighter here, something that he's not used to either, but he will be at a, a reach disadvantage, I believe roughly about three or four inches. I don't think that's going to matter though, as he's shown in past fights that it, it doesn't matter. He crashes forward, he does what he needs to do, and he gets the job done. And in his past two fights, he's been able to get third round knockouts as well, which, you know, might come into play here against the guy in Castaneda, but Castaneda has shown an ironclad chin not being knocked out since, uh, I believe it was eight years ago, the last time he suffered a knockout loss, but I've, I believe he's had four more losses since then, all of them coming via decision, and um, seems like he has a damn good chin uh, in every single one of those fights as well. I do think, though, the main difference here between the two guys is going to be the wrestling pedigree of Johns. I think even when he doesn't complete takedowns, which he's only doing at a 30% accuracy rate, uh, he's still winning minutes and winning time by pushing his opponents up against the cage. And he's not just pushing them there. He's not just holding them there. When he doesn't feel the takedown coming, he does a really good job in staying active in those situations by you know landing knees, landing dirty boxing, whatever it is in those positions, just to stay active enough that the referee won't separate him from that spot so if i feel or if he feels like he's in trouble at all in the feet uh, i feel like he'll resort to his wrestling and i feel like he'll be successful 
in that uh, here against a guy in John Castaneda who, again, solid striker, probably the better striker of the two, but I don't think it's by a whole lot to the point that Maz Johns will suffer in that spot. So uh, I do like Johns here. You know, I think the minus 250 line is absolutely accurate in this spot. He's a developing fighter. You know, the general in his corner, Safe Sayud, will drop something good for him here against the guy in Castaneda who, again, he'll have the wrestling advantage over. And I think that uh, that overall MMA game will be too much for Castaneda to get overcome in this spot so i'm gonna go uh miles johns and i think he wins this fight via decision julian arosa versus steven peterson we got minus 305 on arosa and plus 240 the return on steven peterson now when i saw the line originally i'm like that's a little wide you know julian arosa he's a good fighter but i don't know if he should ever be minus 300 against anybody but then you see the stylistic matchup here you see how a guy like steven peterson deals with guys that are kind of rangy strikers and move well another guy that comes to mind there is alex caceres and we saw that matchup and how that goes and even though peterson will likely be the one moving forward in this fight he's going to be coming up short on a lot of his shots and i feel like julian arosa will do a good job of uh just you know getting the better strikes off uh from distance uh rosa will have a three inch height advantage as well as a four inch reach advantage and i thought it'd be a little bit more pronounced but i think those inches are going to be the difference in this fight i think we'll see a rosa use his crafty striking style from the outside to just piece up steven peterson and i think it should take him on route to a decision victory but you know steven peterson has that shot of potentially catching julian rosa with something right it's weird to see Arosa go out against a guy like Sung Woo Choi, but then eat clean shots from a, a heavy puncher like Charles Jordan and keep moving forward. You know, there was one instance where uh, Jordan did hurt him, but Arosa was nowhere near any danger of getting finished in that spot. Peterson can crack, but I think he's going to be coming up short on a lot of his shots in this fight. I'm not willing to lay that minus 300 in Arosa in this spot, but this should definitely be a fight that fits stylistically perfect with what he's going to be looking for uh, and 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 taking advantage of. So I like Julian Rosa in this spot. I think he outpoints his way uh, against Steven Peterson here en route to a decision victory. Trishan Gore versus Brian Battle. We got minus 165 on Trishan Gore and plus 145 the return on Brian Battle. Now, this is actually the Ultimate Fighter Season 29 finale that we were supposed to get. Unfortunately, Trishan Gore was forced to pull out of his fight back in August of last year. And that's where we saw Brian Battle pick up his win and ultimately become the uh, tough 29 uh, champion, however you want to call it, uh, where he was able to dispatch of Gilbert Urbina who was uh, actually eliminated by Trishan Gore. So um, now we're finally getting the finale. We should you know, probably bring out the bells and whistles and the trophy once again, as this is truly the, uh, the final that we were supposed to get. And it's an intriguing matchup. You know, Trishan Gore is still very young in his MMA career. Uh, you know, I'm surprised that he's the favorite and I'm surprised the line is continuing to balloon up in his favor. The guy has a pretty, you know, quick jab, a very good jab, actually, I should say. He's very fast with his hands and I think he's going to have an obvious speed advantage in this fight. He has a great head kick as well and he has some decent power and he'll probably have the advantage in terms of speed and power in this fight. But everywhere else, I think that Brian Battle is better, right? That Battle seems to have a pretty good chin uh, he seems to take a shot pretty well and seems to bounce back as well we saw it show off in that gilbert urbina fight where the beginning didn't really work out the best for him but halfway through that first round he was able to flip the script and get the fight back 
into his uh, into his realm. Most of Trishon Gore's fights, it's kind of hard to truly see how skilled he is. It seems because it seems like his opponents more often than not just allow him to lead the dance. There's a couple fights where you see him literally for the 15 or 10 minutes that the fight is going on that the opponents allow him to kind of just dictate the range and dictate the pace and dictate the the the, the distance at which they're going to be fighting at. I don't think that Brian Battle will allow him to do that. I think Battle does a good job in terms of mixing in his kicks and his striking and then ultimately dragging fights to the ground where he's going to have most of his success, especially in this fight against Gore. We haven't really seen Gore tested too much in the grappling, right? We saw, I believe it was Ryder Newman try to go for takedowns. Uh, that wasn't super successful. Hector Urbina, or sorry, uh, Gilbert Urbina didn't really have too much success either. And I'm, I'm, I'm a little bit... Uh, not sold on on Trishan Gore. I'll say that again. Physically speaking, he seems to have everything required to be a successful fighter. But I think Brian Battle is. You know, I'm gonna I'm gonna use it. He's a lot more battle tested, right? He has uh, some pretty big names on his amateur record: Impa Kasanganai, Cody Brundage, just to name a couple of them. But he has way more experience and he has way more tools of winning this fight as long as his chin holds up. Because I know Trishan Gore is gonna land cleanly on him a couple times. But if he's not able to put Battle out, I think Battle can take this fight to the ground and really wear on Trishan Gore and possibly finish him later in this fight too. Um, I do like the Brian Battle side here, but I'm going to stay a little bit patient in terms of the line. Again, when I originally tape studied this fight, he was roughly around plus 120. Now he's sitting at plus 145. So I'm interested to see how much more this line continues to expand. You know, Trishan looks great on the surface, but there's a couple things that we still need to figure out about him. And he's a little bit too green at this point in time to say that he's truly fleshed out those issues. The main one being in his second professional fight, you see him get taken down by this guy named LJ jones and it didn't seem like he had much off of his back he threw up i believe a triangle attempt but outside of that it seemed like he had difficulty in terms of getting back to his feet luckily for him as soon as that round ended his opponent lj jones gets back to his feet and it seems like he has some sort of knee injury and they ultimately call off the fight there so uh, I know Gore, you know, has some solid training partners, obviously has a good uh, coaching system as well, considering he's training out of American top team in Georgia, which is actually headed by Douglas and Diego Lima. Uh, but I like what I see from Brian Battle, and I think he actually deserves to be the slight favorite in this spot. So I'm going to be going with Brian Battle here. No official play on him yet, but I'm going to see where this line starts to cap off at, and then I'll likely pull the trigger on the, at that point. So I'm going to go Brian Battle, and I think he gets it done inside the distance. I think he gets Trishan Gore there. Let's call it third round TKO. Phil Hawes versus Sam Alvey. We got minus 335 on Phil Hawes and plus 275 the return on smiling Sam Alvey. Now June 1st, 2018 that is the last time that we saw sam alvey get his hand raised in victory when he was able to win a, a split decision over gian volante but since then he's gone an 0-6 and one run uh winless in his last seven fights and uh, it's really been having a lot of people scratching their heads as to why he still has a job with the ufc but he managed to squeeze that draw in between that six fight uh the, that six fight skid that he was on as well and i feel as though that kind of helped preserve his uh 
his his time in the UFC. You could even make that uh, a solid case that he deserved to win that fight against Da Union, but he did still end up with a draw as well. Now, the perception of Alvy out there is obviously one of the worst, right? Everybody thinks he sucks and, you know, nobody thinks he deserves to be in the UFC or anything like that. But one thing that's kind of held up during that tumultuous run that he's been on is his uh, takedown defense. Uh, over those seven fights, he's defended 77% of the takedown attempts that have come against him. And it goes to show that even though he might be slowing down in his overall game, he still has that knack to make it difficult for his opponents to kind of have any type of grappling success against him. Uh, that's from either stopping takedowns, like I said, or even getting right back to his feet whenever he is taken down and then, you know, trying to get back into the range and trying to let his strikes go. His kind of... Um, flaw or his his um weakness kind of over the last several fights the main thing is he just keeps moving back he keeps putting his back against the cage he keeps getting trapped in those situations where his opponents are able to push him up against the cage and just control him from there and then when he does manage to break away and does get to get his strikes off it's not for that long of a time because of his opponents are able to just wrap him up again push him up against the cage and kind of nullify him there on the flip side with Phil Hawes, he had a, a pretty decent winning streak going on before he ran into Chris Curtis last time around, and I believe he fell a little bit too in love with his striking in that fight, and yeah, he looked great in the first two or so minutes there, but you see the intensity start to lower and lower as Chris Curtis did not give him an inch in that fight, and unfortunately Phil Hawes paid for that. Uh, Phil Hawes, mainly a wrestler, right? He likes to go out there, take his opponents to the ground and try to grind them through the mat or he tries to nuke their head into the fifth row and, and try to win via knockout that way as well. But uh, I feel as though given the result of his last fight, that knockout loss to Chris Curtis, especially as a big favorite in that spot, it might mess with his mentality and his confidence. And Phil Hawes definitely strikes me as one of those guys that has an issue with his confidence and ability to believe in himself. So I wouldn't be surprised to see him go out there and revert to that wrestling style that brought him to the dance here. But... I think he's going to struggle with that with here uh, with Sam Alvey, who I just laid out earlier, uh, still does a really good job in terms of stopping takedowns and getting back to his feet and nullifying the grappling success of his opponents. That's what I kind of see happening here. Then I think it's going to force Phil to either cage clinch him, push him up against the cage and have some success there. But I think that's going to start to wear on him, right? Phil Hawes, I think he needs that kind of space to just... Uh, catch his breath and not really use his muscles working as hard uh, when getting into these clinch positions or getting these takedowns because that's where you start to drain your energy the most and I feel he will start to drain his energy trying to you know find that comfort zone up against the cage and the clinch pushing Sam Alvey there Sam's going to be working to get his way out and again at times he does lack at it but if this fight gets, in, gets back into the, the striking range, I feel like Sam Alvey still has enough crack and enough pop in his hands that he could put Phil Hawes in trouble. That's why I can't trust Phil Hawes around minus 300 nowadays, right? I've never been big in terms of betting him or, or saying that he's a, a good spot at minus 300. And even against an 0-6-1 Sam Alvey over his last seven fights, I'm still feeling like Alvey could find the chin on Phil Hawes here and put him out. Um... Again, it's very low confidence, man. But I feel as though this could be like a Jamie Pickett spot from the from an event ago or two events ago where everybody's just like, ah, he sucks. They they dismiss him and then they just pick the 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 favorite Joseph Holmes in that situation and then they move on. You know, I tried giving Pickett as much uh, respect as possible and I still came up on the Joseph Holmes side. But I, I feel like people are going to be doing that here with Sam Alvey as well, saying he's on the worst run of his career, which he is. 
But again, stylistically, it's difficult for Phil Hawes to be able to assert his dominance in this fight unless he nukes Sam Alvey within the first, you know, three or four minutes of the fight. But the longer this goes, the more I feel like Sam Alvey could hurt him, clip him and drop him and finish him. So I think the only action I'll be looking to take on this is one, I want to see what the total is when it drops. If it's two and a half, I don't mind what the under two and a half is going to be uh, as long as it's not worse than like minus 150 or something like that. And the other thing is Alvi by KO. Uh, given that he's around a plus 300 underdog, I'm going to assume his KO prop will be around plus 400, plus 450, maybe even plus 500. If that's the case, I'm going to take a little bit of a poke on that because, again, I, I'm not a big believer in what Phil Hawes brings to the table here. So some people may say Phil Hawes is a free square in this spot. I'm not of that belief. Anytime he's going up against a power puncher, and especially somebody that's going to be able to stop takedowns or get back to his feet and make Phil Hawes work, I'm picking that guy, especially at plus 275, plus 300 odds. So, uh, yeah unsubscribe do whatever the hell you guys want to do if you guys lose respect for me here for picking sam alvey in this spot but i gotta do it man i'm gonna take sam alvey and i'll take him to win this fight by second round ko shavkat rachmanov versus carlston harris we got minus 225 on rachmanov and plus 185 the return on carlston harris now this is a very fun fight between two dynamic strikers or sorry two dynamic grapplers and i'm interested to see who's actually going to come out on top uh and who's able to impose their will a little bit more in the spot now rachmanov comes uh into this bout with a 14-0 record finishing every single one of his opponents not to mention 39 year old michelle prezeris last time around Around who had never been finished in his career so that's definitely a, a high accolade for my guy Rachmanov to be able to pull that off and especially in the fashion that he did on the flip side we got Carlson Harris coming in with a 17 and 4 record riding a five fight winning streak and the guys look at nothing short of impressive especially in the two wins that he's been able to rack up inside the UFC obviously we saw him go out there and finish Christian Aguilar in his last fight and then I'm, I believe it was the um oh the impa kasanganai fight in his second fight where he uh actually managed to land a big shot on him and then finish him there uh carlson harris's striking you know is a little bit amateur in a sense like he throws a lot of heat behind his strikes but more often than not he's toppling over his power kind of overextending on shots a little bit too much and we've seen you know a slightly tech more technical striker can hurt him as we saw in that fight against christian aguilera where aguilera landed some good shots in that fight which you know caused some concern for carlson harris but harris was obviously able to get the fight to the ground the best way he likes to get the fight to the ground is getting those double under hooks up against the cage especially once he gets these guys in the clinch position from there seems like he's very powerful in terms of tripping guys forward or backwards depending on how you're looking to defend the trips um on the flip side here with Shavka Rachmanov he does show some instances where he gives up the double underhooks a little bit too easily and I don't think that's something he wants to do here in a guy in Carlton Harris who could possibly be stronger in this position I do give Rachmanov the slight advantage in terms of the striking as he's a little bit more polished, doesn't really fall over his shots, and he does a damn good job of using his knees, and uh, especially with the height advantage he more often than not has over his, his opponents, and especially considering how heavy and how much Carlson Harris dips his uh, head when throwing those big shots, I wouldn't be surprised if Rachmanov catches him with one of those either. But if this fight does get mixed up in the grappling realm, it, it to me it seems like whoever's stronger will likely get the better of certain situations but i do think that rachmanov is slightly more uh, uh refined with his grappling approach 
with that said, I'm a big fan of Carlson Harris's Darce and Anaconda series. And given that he's so long and lanky, that definitely plays into his advantage when trying to wrap those submissions up. But I think he's going to have some trouble doing that against Gan Rachmanov, who will be ready and prepared for that type of approach. So I don't think that Rachmanov deserves to be a huge favorite. The minus two, or sorry, minus two fifty, minus three hundred that we were seeing when this line originally got dropped. But now that the money is coming in on Harris, I think we're getting closer and closer to what the accurate or accurate line should actually be. I got personally, I got Rachmanov around sixty five percent. I think that's where he should be, uh, and I do think he ends up winning this fight. The difference maker to me is going to be the striking, as I do think that Rachmanov is slightly better in those spots. But Rachmanov's chin and durability is going to get tested here, as Carlson Harris does a good job of putting those strikes on his chin or on his opponent's chin, and uh, that could absolutely happen in this spot. So uh, no, no action for me. If anything, I like the over one and a half round minus one thirty five. I could see this fight, you know where they're tangling up a little bit and then it goes over that seven and a half minute mark but i think that the longer that this fight goes rachmanov will likely have the advantage and i think he could finish carlson harris late as well so i'm gonna go rachmanov and i think he gets it done via third round tko Puna Hale Soriano versus Nick Maximov. We got minus 200 on Puna and plus 170 the return on Nick Maximov. Now, one of the first things that's always mentioned whenever Maximov is brought up is his affiliation with the Diaz army. That's like numero uno uh, whenever speaking about Maximov. And that's kind of the reason, in my opinion, that he's gotten this push the way that he has. Uh, he's a brown belt, 24 years old, and I think his black belt is going to be coming in the next couple years as he has already spent a couple years now as a brown belt. But he doesn't make any bones about it when he steps inside the cage. That's exactly what he wants to implement. He wants to get the fight to the ground. And from there, he's really able to establish that jiu-jitsu, whether it's getting some ground and pound going from on top, passing, getting to better positions, or even pulling off a submission of his own. But I think he's going to be in some trouble here against the guy in Puna Hale, who has a bit of a wrestling background, and I think will be successful in terms of stopping that takedown heavy game of Maximov. And then on the feet, I think it's going to be all Puna with a slightly better striking style, right? Puna is still... Uh, you know, very reliant on landing big shots, blitzing forward and landing those big hooks. But a guy with a better striking game or more of a finesse when it comes to the striking game will get the better of him. And that's exactly what Brendan Allen showcased in Puna Holly's last fight. We saw Brendan Allen stick and move very well, stay on the outside as best as possible. And that first round was kind of close with the amount of uh, strikes that Puna was landing. But as the fight started to wear on, we saw Brendan get out of the way of the big shots and land plenty of his own in en route to, be, en route to getting his hand raised via judge's decision that night. Here against uh, Puna and, and Maximov, I think Puna is obviously the better striker. I think Maximov still has miles to go in terms of refining his striking game. And that could ultimately be his downfall here, as I do think he needs to set up his takedowns effectively to be able to ground this fight. My concern with Soriano, though, lays with if this fight goes a little bit deeper, right? If it goes into the second and third rounds, sometimes he overextends a little bit too much on his strikes and a well-timed takedown could possibly get this fight to the ground for, Nick's, for Nick Maximov. I think Maximov is uh, quite durable as well, so I think he'll be able to eat some of the shots from Soriano here. So I do see this fight kind of getting into that later part of the second round, maybe, uh, maybe even the third round as well. Um, I'm curious to see where the over-under is going to be for this fight because if it's at one and a half, I'd be a little bit intrigued to uh, take a shot at it and, uh, you know, hopefully cross my fingers and hope that this goes over that seven and a half minute mark. 
But the way that I see it playing out, I see Maximov uh, falling short on his takedown attempts, Puna winning the minutes just based off of landing the bigger strikes on the feet. And I think this actually goes the full 15 minutes. I do think that Maximov will be able to withstand the power, but I don't think he'll be able to overcome it by landing his takedowns and getting his jujitsu going. So a uh, line, in my opinion, a little bit too wide on the Soriano side, given the possible success Maximov can have later in this fight. Again, like I touched on, countering with perfectly timed takedowns would be the best, best path uh, to victory for him as well. I kind of just absolutely fumbled those words there, but glad that I picked it up right after there. But uh, in terms of a prediction, I got to go with Soriano here. Uh, I do think that he beats on Maximov for about 15 minutes and then takes home a decision victory. So official prediction, Punahale Soriano via decision. Time for the main event. We got Jack Hermanson going up against Sean Strickland, minus 205 on Strickland, and plus 175 the return on Jack Hermanson. Now, Sean Strickland is riding a four-fight winning streak inside the middleweight division ever since moving up to this division, and he's looked damn good doing so, dispatching of all of his opponents. I believe one of them he had, was able to finish, which was Brendan Allen. Uh, I remember having a bet on that at plus, uh, plus 100, plus 102, or something like that. Uh, surprised that he went off as the underdog in that fight however you really had to question brendan allen's uh, approach in that fight right he was a mainly a guy that liked to go out there and try to get takedowns and use his jujitsu but for some reason he thought he could strike with sean strickland and he paid dearly for that as well uh then after that we saw sean strickland have his first ever main event spot or actually he beat christoph jotko then he had his first ever main event slot against uriah hall where he was able to pretty much beat him over uh 25 minutes he may have dropped i believe it was the second round but outside of that he won pretty much everything from there jack romanson on the other hand coming off a victory over Edmund Shabazian, uh, a fight that he did, you know didn't really have the hottest start as Edmund Shabazian was really piecing him up with the striking, especially that jab. But as we've come to know with Edmund Shabazian, his cardio starts to fall off, his productivity and his activity all start to fall off uh, come that second round. And that's exactly what happened that night. Jack Romanson was able to take the second round and then 10-8ed him in the third round by pretty much riding him for the majority of that round. Now, the interesting aspects about this fight is the fact that we haven't seen Sean Strickland tested in terms of his grappling much since moving up to middleweight. Heck, even his last six fights, which includes his last two welterweight fights as well, uh, he's only gone up against two takedown attempts, and he stuffed both of them pretty easily, and it wasn't that uh, difficult for him to get out of those positions. Um, on the flip side with Jack Romanson, he's landed a takedown in 10 out of his 13 UFC fights. So pretty much every single one of them, ex uh, with the exception of three of them. And he averages close, close to two takedowns per 15 minutes as well. Uh, the, the Sean Strickland side, going back to him, 84% uh, takedown defense rate. And that really has to do a lot with when he fought Court McGee, and Court McGee went 0 of 11 on takedown attempts. But again, since that fight, has only faced two takedown attempts and has successfully stuffed both of them. I'm sure he's going to be tested in that realm in this fight against Jack Romanson. However, Jack Romanson, 36% takedown defense, or 36% takedown uh, accuracy in terms of his defense. So that's a little bit of a question mark as well. You know, I feel like this fight is going to look similar to that Marvin Vittori fight where uh, Marvin Vittori and Jack Hermanson went at it for five rounds. Uh, Hermanson, I believe, only landed two takedowns in that fight, but Vittori did a good job in terms of reversing those positions, getting back to his feet, and then letting his hands go, which is where he was having most of his success. Uh, Hermanson had no answer 
answer for that striking style of a Tory. And that leads me to believe that he won't have any answer for Sean Strickland's fighting style as well. Strickland has benefited from just moving forward, throwing output, throwing volume, and just breaking his opponents. And I think that he could do that here against Jack Hermanson. He will have way more output and he'll have way more volume. And that's where I think that Hermanson is going to start to fall behind. And if he can't get his grappling going in this spot, I think he's going to struggle the longer that this fight goes. He might be able to steal maybe the first round or maybe the second round where he is able to land a takedown. But Sean Strickland is no slouch on the ground. Uh, from the last uh, I had heard, he is still a brown belt in jiu-jitsu. Uh, he has a crafty ground game. Even back in the day when we, we saw him at welterweight, uh, he made it very difficult for guys like Kamaru Usman and other wrestlers to really settle on top of him. And he does a damn good job in terms of either reversing or getting back to his feet and then getting back to his bread and butter, which is that striking game. And that's exactly what I'm expecting to happen this weekend when he takes on Jack Hermanson. I think he's just going to keep it in the striking range, let his hands go, uh, overwhelmed jack hermanson hermanson might start to resort to desperation takedowns but i think that strickland will be ready to go for that and uh yeah i think it's just going to be very difficult for hermanson to really uh get anything going hermanson has kind of bit down on the mouthpiece and thrown with heat as well uh especially when his striking really isn't or sorry when his wrestling is really not going but it's still very difficult for him to find tremendous success with strictly a striking game plan and I think it's going to be even more difficult for him here against a guy in Sean Strickland who holds a 66 striking defense, 66% striking defense rate, which uh, you know pretty much means that he does a good job of hitting and not getting hit. And that's exactly what uh, I think is going to happen in this matchup here. So um, I, I do like Strickland here. I do like him around that minus 200 range. I think that's an apt uh, a line for him. Uh, more often than not, he's going to be around that line. I've already cashed... Um, three times on him on the money line side uh minus 260 against christoph jotko plus 102 against uh brendan allen and then minus 245 against jack marshman i'm gonna add another one to the w column i feel after this event wraps up uh by taking him around that minus 200 line here so uh, i'm big on strickland here uh i think he'll be fine in terms of the grappling i don't think that hermanson has that giant of a advantage in that spot and even if he does get the fight to the ground i think he's going to struggle in terms of keeping strickland in that spot so i'm going sean strickland and i'm going to take him to win this fight via decision and that's a wrap on the episode if you guys haven't already please do hit that like hit that subscribe show your boy some love if you want to show a little extra love Patreon is in the description below, five bucks a month. Like I said at the top of the episode, early access to breakdowns, best bets and props article, great Discord community. The perks just are all there. Trust me, there's more than enough there for five bucks a month that you guys will not be complaining. Obviously, another shout out to CoolBet, coolbet.com. Use promo code MMALOTN2 and they'll match your initial deposit up to 100%. I believe it's 100% or 200%. Either way, details are in the description below. So make sure you guys go check that out. Once again, the promo code is MMALOTN2. All right, that's a wrap on the episode. Hope you guys enjoyed it all. Uh, yeah, we got eight straight events. Yeah, eight straight events coming up, starting up with this UFC Vegas 47 and a ton of other great content dropping throughout the week. I'll see you guys throughout the week. Good luck on your bets. Let's get it.